we're obsessed, maniacally focused on creating an environment where people can have fun every day, right? I want to work with great people. I don't want to work with boring people who are grumpy and down. And I want to work with the guy who's training for a marathon, the person who's trying to climb a mountain, the woman who's got a worldwide trip, literally is going to try to, you know, circle the globe by traveling through Europe and Asia and all the way around, right? I want to work with these type of people. And so that's the type of environment that we've created. We celebrate these type of things. We create the environment where people are encouraged to do this. So it's really the focus is on the people and setting them up to live an extraordinary life. Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way, to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoyed the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello, today I'm talking with and learning from Darren Janelle of the Janelle Group. Darren started a number of businesses after leaving corporate life, determined to create a product business. And then, of course, he realized that that wasn't his genius. His genius is in building a tech services business with his brother. And they've created an amazing firm. They've been in the Inc. 5000, which for those of you who don't know, it's the 5,000 fastest growing privately held companies in the United States. So they've been in there for five years running. Actually, no, six years now. He just said that uh, they'd realized they're now in the sixth time. And when you start, you're doing 100% year over year. This year, he thinks they'll do 25 to 30% growth. They are at 22 million now. They've got about 150 people. The majority of those people are probably just more than half are still local the others now they're hiring still in the US but remote and so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what happens as you go through this sort of threshold of 40 people people stop putting the cups in the dishwasher what do you do what what happens then how do you keep the culture alive you go through a transition at about 100 the executive team can't be in charge of anything you need a leadership team He's now got a leadership t- executive team of five and a, an extended leadership team of an additional seven. So that's a transition that happens at 100. We chat what happens as you go through 250 on your way to 300, which is the next major transition. And we talk about what he's doing. He's maniacal about culture. I think he says at the beginning, and maybe I was a bit skeptical at the beginning. He says right at the beginning of the interview, I think we've cracked the code on hybrid working. And I think he's, done a damn good job of it. He talks about inclusion. He talks about people showing up being their authentic selves. He talks about celebration. And he's got a fantastic metric for how many culture drivers per employee you need in your business. Fantastic conversation. I learned loads. It was great. Could have spoken to him all day. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. 
Hi, my name is Darren Janelle, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Janelle Group, a custom software development shop based here in upstate New York in America. Okay. And uh, what do you do for people? What does Janelle Inc. do? Yeah, Dominic, if, if you boil our business down to its absolute simplest form, we provide great software creators. We provide talent, right? So we are world-class at identifying great software creators. I use the word creator because it's not just engineers. It's primarily engineers. Probably 70, 80% of our people are, are developers, engineers, hardcore nerds, right? But it's also project managers, QA, designers, people involved in the development life cycle. We're world-class at recruiting people, selling them on what we're doing, and then putting them in an environment where they can be happy, where they can just live a great life, where they can do awesome things personally and professionally. And then everything else takes care of itself because businesses come to us because they know we have that talent. Once we deliver one great resource, they say, hey, do you have more of those? Another, another, and we kind of grow our footprints within clients. Does that make sense? It, it does. It's very clear to me. So are you finding it a challenge to hire great people? Yeah, absolutely. You know, hiring the right people is everything. Well, a lot of what I talk about is building great cultures, building special teams, but you can't do that without, without the right people. So many organizations, they, they go, oh, well, we're going to start fixing our culture. It's like, well, you're already screwed, in my opinion, because you don't have the right people. Put, you know, put the greatest sports coach. You're, you're in the UK. You got to be, are you a soccer fan? Football, I should say, right? You must be a football fan. Is that correct, Dominic? Uh, I do watch, occasionally watch soccer, yeah. Okay. But you put the greatest coach ever and you give him a team of bums. I don't care how great of a coach he is. He's not going to be winning games with that group. He might help them improve, but you got to have the right people. You got to have the right talent on the team. And so we're absolutely obsessed with this. We're maniacally focused on this. We have an absolutely absurd recruiting funnel. And so that that's such a huge uh, part of what we do. And yeah, it's a challenge every day, but I think we're really good at it. Okay. What could people learn from you? Are you doing, are you the hardest software development company to get a job in, in North America? I wish I could say that. That is, that's not true, right? I think some of the, some of the, you know, uh, the FANG companies, Facebook, Google, you know, they can also throw a lot more money at people than we can, although we pay very competitively. Um, but yeah, it, it's not easy to get a job at Janelle Group, Dominic. I'll share a little bit of numbers with you to give, to put it in perspective. So our recruiting funnel looks like this. This year, we're going to vet 150,000 people. So that's a quick LinkedIn stalking, like a resume, you know, so, so real quick. We're going to vet 150,000. We're going to interview 1,500 of them to hire about 60 or 70 of them, right? So think about that funnel. We're talking about 150,000 down to 1,500, down to 60 or 70 that are coming out of the bottom of that funnel. And those are superstars coming out of the bottom, man. We're, we're, you know, you don't go through that many people to find bumps. We're looking for A players only. Does that, does that resonate? It, it does. It absolutely does. And those people, are they, the way you talk about it, that you're going looking for all of them or are some of them apply? Do you do job ads as well? Or are you, is it mostly outbound? Yeah, it's a little bit of both, right? A lot of times with the, the senior uh, seasoned professionals and engineers, we're going out and recruiting them right? We're out there on LinkedIn. We're stalking them out. We're doing creative things to try to break through the noise and, and, and start a conversation with the younger people or people looking to establish their career. They're coming to us more, right? And that's a lot of an easier funnel to work through. 
And then people are just hearing about us and finding out about us. So even some of those seasoned, experienced people are saying, I, I heard amazing things about what's going on over there at Janelle Group. I want to get in there. I want to I interview and, and, and see if I can become a part of the team. And you're, I think you said you were located upstate New York? Yep. We're about two hours north of New York City. And so how many amazing dev people are there in whatever town you're in? Like, haven't you hired them all already? That's a, yes, that is a real challenge, right? If you're super smart and you live within an hour of us, we've talked to you, right? And so as we've grown, we are continuing to recruit more nationally. And so our, our ratio of, of local people to true remote resources, you know, those ratios are changing over time. And now it's at a point where 65% of our people are local to 35% are, are remote. And actually on our last report, that might even have gone up to 40% remote. I think that will continue to, to grow as we, as we uh, look to, to scale the team. And all in the U.S. still? Yep. Everybody's 100% onshore in the U.S., and yeah, you know, that's been a core part of our model. A lot of our clients kind of require that. Okay. We haven't expanded overseas yet, Dominic, you know what I'm saying? But uh, maybe someday. And so what are some of the challenges in, you say people say with amazing things are happening over there at Janelle. What, what types of things are people talking about? How do you create that, that buzz and get people to come and join you? Yeah, sure, sure. So Work and most people's work in their work life, it's kind of boring. And so they, they look at, well, I can't wait till Thursday or Friday when I can actually start my weekend. I can then go become myself, right? So Dominic, we, we're obsessed, maniacally focused on creating an environment where people can have fun every day, right? I want to work with great people. I don't want to work with boring people who are grumpy and down. And I want to work with the guy who's training for a marathon, the person who's trying to climb a mountain, the woman who's got a worldwide trip, literally is going to try to you know, circle the globe by traveling through Europe and Asia and all the way around, right? I want to work with these type of people. And so that's the type of environment that we've created. We celebrate these type of things. We create the environment where people are encouraged to do this. If you have a side hustle, a side business, we'll encourage you. Come in, present about it, show what you're doing, right? A lot of businesses, you got to hide that. If you, if you go work at a corporate company, you got to hide your, your side gig. So it's really the focus is on the people and, and setting them up to, to live an extraordinary life. Does that include, I've, I've spoke, I spoke to Chris Yeo uh, a little while ago on the podcast. He's got this concept of a tour of duty. Have you got anything like that where people are, you know, you know what their expectations are with you and beyond, beyond your organization so you can help them? Yeah, that's, that's funny. Isn't his book, the, is this his book, The Alliance, I think, right? Yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. He talks about, I love that idea, right? Because Janelle Group, when you, when you come in, right, we're talking all this smack in the interview going, oh, it's going to be amazing and all this stuff I'm saying right now. If the person comes in and then we don't deliver on that, well, then they're just out the door, right? So we look at it like the normal employer-employee relationship is I'm up here, you're down here, right? And, and you work for me. What can you do for me? What can you do for the company? We take that and we flip it upside down and say, no, what can we do for you? You're a great person. We got you here. And now it's our job to serve you, to make sure that you can live a great life so you can take your career where you want it to go, right? And so absolutely, we love that idea of a tour of duty. And so a lot of times this happens with young folks, right? They come in, okay, you're a junior developer and you're in here and you're grinding it out. Maybe you got to do some grunt work, but we're, we're setting a, a career path where they can continue to level up and go different places. Sometimes, and this is, this is sad when it happens, 
their tour of duty and their career should take them somewhere else. Right. And we'll do that. We'll we'll send somebody somewhere else. We just had a we had a ServiceNow division. ServiceNow is a big platform. I don't know if you've heard about it, but we kind of scaled back on our ServiceNow division. And we had great people, key players that were in that division who wanted to stay on with Janelle Group. But we were kind of scaling that back. We're saying this isn't going to be great for your career. We ended up getting them placed with with our clients and they got huge raises and, and a great, great gig uh, somewhere else. But it's us giving away profit, giving away revenue. But it's because it's about them and not us. Right. And so there is a case where their tour of duty ended at Janelle Group and it was time for us to help them go somewhere else. Right. So by, if you continue to put your people first in the short term, you may, might make a little bit less money. But I think over the long run, that's eventually going to pay off and you're going to get uh, your rewards from that. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Are your teams working remotely for clients or are they, or some of them on site with clients? Yeah, they're all working remotely. We don't we don't do on site placement. I mean, they'll go visit clients and they'll do on sites for a week or something like that. But, you know, we're selling our culture, our thing. We can't sell all that and then be like, oh, by the way, you got to go, uh, you know, work in this uh, dreary cubicle farm every day. Not that our clients have cubicle farms, but you get my point. We want to control their environment and their, um, you know, their experience. And so, and that's, we tell that to our clients. We say, Hey, if you want us to keep providing amazing people, let us take care of them. You give them great work. And so how have you, you know, you built your business up to, you know, chunk of people there up uh, on site, and then you started to expand into hybrid. How's that going for you? Yeah. So in the early days, culture on site is easy, right? Especially with me and my brother. My brother's my co-founder, very high energy guy, similar to me. My brother, we call him the war machine, right? He's 6'4", 240. He was sent from outer space, Dominic, to seek and destroy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm going off on a tangent here. But you can see my brother and I are very uh, energetic, dynamic leaders. And so, you know, when it was 20, 30, 40 of us and we're all in the same building, you know, it's easy to do have a fun culture and, and kind of keep the energy going. But as we're growing, as we're scaling, and as people are working remotely, I think it's become a lot more challenging, right? And and we, I believe we have cracked the code on remote culture. And so maybe maybe I'll dive into that a little bit, some of the things that we believe and, and see as different. Does that make please sense? Please do. Yeah, please do. All right. So so remote culture is difficult. Anyone who's, who's been a remote resource or has tried to run remote teams has probably experienced that, right? You see a lot of times, you know, at a company, the maybe the HR director goes to a conference, they come back, they go, we're going to do remote culture. Yay, we're going we're gonna to have a virtual happy hour, right? And they put 10 software engineers on a virtual Google Hangout and they're all sitting there drinking beers. None of them wants to talk. Nobody wants to be on the call. Everybody wants to kill themselves. And it's the worst experience ever, right? You can't just force this shit, right? You've got to have real connection. And, and so... So one of the things that we believe that, that and that we do is a little bit different, Dominic, is we're looking to create one, two, or ho- hopefully three really unique experiences in person per year, even with our remote resources. So think about the people in your life, Dominic, that you got the closest with the quickest, right? Maybe you, you know, you went on a trip to China with somebody and you spent two weeks traveling there. Maybe you didn't know them that well before. At the end of that trip, 
you feel connected, right? Maybe I think back to my sports days, double session practices in the summer, run until we vomited. You know, that wasn't fun, but it was unique. And it was a, an experience that we went through together. At the end of that, we were connected. We were bonded, right? Think of special forces, right? In, in America, we have the Navy SEALs. I know you got special forces over there in the UK. I forget the name of SAS the- SAS and SBS. Yeah. When those guys go to their training, right? They go and they go through this extraordinary experience together. And when they come out, they're actually ready to die for each other. They only known each other three months. They're ready to actually jump in front of a bullet for the for each other, right? So extraordinary experiences, unique experiences are what can bond us and what can fast forward our relationship. Have you experienced that in your own life, Dominic? I have. It's that sort of fast friends with people. And I read a piece of research last week that said it's the smell. So they did this thing where they got people to sniff T-shirts some of which had no smell and some of which did have smell. And uh, I can't remember the ins and outs of it, but basically what they said is it's easier to become fast friends when you meet people. And you were t- as you were talking about, you know, training, uh, <laughs> all of this training, all like we're all piling off a load of smell, aren't we? We're getting sweaty. And so it was just, I just thought it was fascinating. You know, you, the, we're wired to be attracted or not attracted to different people. And that happens very, very quickly in, a, in ways that we don't, that aren't, you know, we're not aware of. Hopefully I got some good smelling folks on the team. <laughs> but, but anyway, right. So, so now if we are intentional about creating those a couple times a year, right. So say me and, and you know, a, a group of guys, maybe five of us from headquarters and maybe six or seven of our remote resources, we all fly out to Las Vegas and we go out there for the AWS conference and we spend five days together you know, going out to eat, drinking and carry on till three in the morning, gambling, losing some money. There's a funny story. So and so, you know, this happened, this happened. Now we're actually creating a bond and a real friendship. So now when we go back and now we're doing our virtual happy hour, well, it's not BS, right? Because the person on the other end of this call and we're drinking beers, I'm actually connected with and we have funny stories and we have things in common and and we're friends, right? And, and so if you can create one or two or, you know, again, hopefully three or four of those per year, it doesn't matter if the person is working on the moon. It doesn't matter because the connection is there. The connection is real. So that's one of the one of the core ways we've we've cracked the code and tried to figure out remote culture. Is, is that, is yeah, that it does. And are you are you deliberate in that you know that Fred, who's just joined, hasn't been on anything and we're going to deliberately try and get Fred on th- three or four things? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But here's another key that I think we figured out that that works for us. We have a very intense culture. It's thriving. It's it's uh, it's amazing. And, and it can be intense at times. Right. But a lot of companies with a really strong culture, Dominic, it's kind of like all or nothing. If you don't drink the Kool-Aid, if you're not all in, you're like an outcast. You're like a weirdo. You're off to the side. We don't approach it that way. Our culture is like a self-serve buffet. It's here for the employee's benefit. Everything we do is to try to to make the, the experience for our employee better and have them feel more connected. But not everybody wants all of this stuff, right? If, if, I'm a, if I'm a 45-year-old guy with four kids, I got four young kids under 10, and I live in Denver, Colorado, I don't need to fly out to Schenectady, New York, to drink beers and act like a gorilla with the CEO till four in the morning. I, I want to be home with my kids, right? And so if that's the case, 
That's fine. You don't have to lean into any of this. It's a self-serve buffet. You want some of this? Lean into it. Take care of it. Take it. Take advantage of it. You'll love it. There's great people on the other side of that, right? But if you don't want any of that, that's okay too. And so we've got all kinds of different weird little pockets of the culture. We got a chess club. We got literally guys playing Dungeons and Dragons. We got fantasy football. We got guys traveling and taking trips. We've got people working on side hustle, startup businesses, crypto clubs. I could go on and on. The point is there's this menu of options. Take 20 of them, take two of them, or take none of them. I don't care. I just want you to be happy. And I want to provide all of these things so that so that you can feel happy and connected at your job. So I think that's something that's unique in the way we do it. I like what you describe is uh, looks and feels like businesses that I've been in or or run, you know, with with great cultures. But it's interesting, those where I come across businesses where they're a hundred percent remote, I think they don't even try to create the community. And so, you know, what you're trying to do is you're trying to work really, really hard. And I suppose you know, as COVID happened, I, I spoke to some people who whose cultures were, maybe they didn't have a culture. They certainly weren't, it certainly wasn't a big thing for them. And they went, yippee, I get to close the office <laughs> and, I, and I don't have to spend any more money. So I'm, they, they were seeing that as a, as a saving. Whereas, you know, those businesses that are fully remote say, look, we spend as much money on getting people together and trying to build bridges as, as we would if we had an office. It's just our people, even, you know, we've got a client who's fully remote and they're, they're trying to bring staff together, you know, per country. They're not, they're not in the same department, but at least per country to try and get some uh, improved stickiness. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And and that's, it's, it's about a choice of if you want to invest in that stuff or not. And and for me, right, I've spoken to so many entrepreneurs who are like, I'll just save the money. Right. For me, this is the way I would rather, I want to live my life this way. Right. If you first job as a business coach, if you came in, and you saw our books and you saw how much we spend on this stuff, travel and food and meals and, and really our alcohol budgets through the roof, you know, you'd, you'd be like, oh my goodness, what's going on over there. But Again, that, this is the way I choose to live my life. This is the way my brother and I want to want to live. I want to have fun. I want to. I'd rather have more fun over the next 20, 30 years than have a couple extra uh, numbers in our bank account at the end of the day, right? What, what I do think is interesting is if I look across the CEOs that I work with, they all say we've uh, our our new normal is about attracting and retaining great people. They all say that. And then at one extreme, it's we're back in the office five days a week. And at the other extreme, for those people who had an office before, it's come in a day a month. And I think, so they're all saying the same thing, but behaving very differently. And I think what that continuum is, it's the extrovert introvert continuum. So the extrovert CEOs are, let's get everybody back. I want to be back. And the introvert CEOs for whom COVID meant that they could run their company from their spare bedroom they're delighted to just stay in their spare bedroom. Yeah, absolutely. But let me let me throw a, a little uh, caveat in there. As the extrovert C- CEO, right? I want this thing back. We have an amazing headquarters. I want people back. We have made it 100% optional, right? Because I, also, I got a lot of engineers on the team. You think I got any introverts on my squad? I mean... If you've got 150 people, probably about 130 of them. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, right? We got guys that live across the street from the office that don't come in, right? And this goes back to it's about the employee, not not me. I want to come in. I want to carry on and connect and everything. But the the senior engineer who'd rather just stay, you know, local or stay in his house – 
well, then I'm not going to force them, right? This is what I want. I'm not going to impose my will on them. What I will continue to do is is dangle that carrot and have amazing events and, and uh, you know, like a beer pong tournament for $10,000, for example, we're about to host. Do you guys play beer pong over in I, I've played beer pong. It's not, it's not a national sport of ours, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, I, but I've seen it played. So, you know what I'm saying? So if I can lure that guy out of his house with a $10,000 beer pong tournament, well, then I've done my job, right? And and so it's, it's again, it's it's a buffet. However you want to play it is how we want to set it up, right? And and so some people have cont- uh, have chosen to come back two days a week. Some people are back all five. Some people are staying at home to each their own. And, and we try to respect that as much as we can. And how do you, how do you measure your culture? What tools have you deployed? That's a good question, right? Because this is a hard thing to do. So we're in, we're in, we enter these two like best workplace contests every year. Uh, they're about six months apart. So every six months we enter this contest, like the local newspapers uh, run them in, in our area. And there's a, an anonymous survey there. And, um, and then we pay the extra fee to get all of the results. And so that's one of the ways we actually have like, um, you know, statistics over time, because we've been, I think we've won best workplace in our area, like six years in a row or five years in a row. We're, we see different categories will dip in. For example, we got dinged last, uh, this was like two surveys ago on our benefits. And so we cranked it up, right? We added some PTO, we added... Um, Paid time off for the listeners in the UK. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, good, 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 good call. Uh, pay, yeah, paid time off. We added some of that. We added a uh, better healthcare coverage, um, and so I think now, starting in January, coming up, I think sixty to seventy percent of our people will have a hundred percent free uh, health insurance paid by the company. Not free, certainly not free to me, but uh, yeah, 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 free for them. So um, that that's how we measure it. In addition to just the feel, like we know when we throw an event, we know was that was the magic there or was the magic not there? And we're again, we're maniacally focused on making sure we create those moments. Okay. And talk to me about the things that you've had to overcome, the changes you've had to make as you've scaled. You know, look, you've gone from, you know, 40 people to 150 people over the last few years. So what are some of the speed bumps that that growth has you've hit and you've overcome? Sure. Um, many, right? But really focusing on the culture and the special teams aspect of it. We started to get nervous as we broke through about 40 people, maybe 40, 50 people. It was getting a little bit much for my brother and I to kind of, you know, have that personal connection with everybody every week. And so, so what we are, we, we do two things very, very well. I think this is something that we learned. We're very intentional about the ratio of culture people, culture drivers to people that aren't necessarily going to drive the culture. Now, let me, let me be clear, right? We have no jerks on the team. We have a no a-hole policy at Janelle Group. Everybody's cool, easy to work with. But when you when you think of like an introverted, maybe a software engineer that, you know, is maybe a stereotype that people can relate to. If you have too high of a ratio of those guys, too high of a percentage of, the, of, of those type of individuals, it can hurt the culture. So as we hire we're looking for every third person, so about one third of our company, being someone who can drive an event, who can drive uh, a road trip, who's energetic, who's outgoing. Not necessarily an extrovert, but you know, to make it easy to understand, right? An, an extrovert, somebody with a great personality who go out to dinner and just make it a good time by by their sheer presence, right? So, so it's that it's it's that ratio, 
And then it's allowing the company in the culture to take uh, take a life of its own. There are a bunch of things going on at Janelle Group that like just aren't my thing, right? Dungeons and Dragons. Do you know what that is? Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's a whole thing. Like, this is crazy to me. Like, I've, I mean, I actually have played because they dragged me in, and and you know, but it's just it's not my thing. But we got a whole Dungeons and Dragons scene going on, right? We got this guy with the Dungeon Master and the one guy 3D printed a whole map of all the stuff, right? And these guys play in person. They play remotely. And the culture's taken on a life of its own in that way. And there are a bunch of different things that have gone off that way. There's a chess club. There's a crypto crew. There's a group of young people that are trying to uh, build like a real estate empire, right? Um, you know, rental properties and things like that. And, and we have nothing to do with that as leaders. We've let the culture run. And uh, it, it's, it's been really cool that as we've scaled, I think the culture's actually getting stronger. Have you had to um, have a word about some activities that might be things you had to rein in well yeah you know you obviously you get the idea right we love beer pong we love carrying on like we definitely have a a very intense culture like i said and and you know sometimes on the party side of things you got there's a fine line there right and and so we've definitely tried to be really smart there we have a psychotic no tolerance policy for or you know for driving one mile if you've had a drink, right? Uh, Janelle Group will pay for Ubers for anyone. You guys have Uber over there, Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. TV, the wheel, everything. Yeah, yeah. So we'll pay for Ubers for anyone after an event. You know, we, we ban liquor in the office. We have beer and wine, but no liquor, no hard liquor, right? So, you know, and, and then when we go off on road trips, you know, we're, we're trying to be smart and intelligent about, you know, the way we go about things. And, and I think the people have responded well and, and they, we've got a, we've got a nice balance of both sides, right? You go too far on that. There's nothing's fun. You go too far the other way. You can get yourself into to some trouble. And so we're trying to play in, in that middle ground. I think we've done a good job of that. And, you know, you software development tends to be an area where diversity is a challenge, you know, how, uh, have you made progress on there or is that an area where you think you, we could do better or, we definitely, that's an area we can do better. We have made some progress, but man, it, it is very challenging, right? You know, I talk about that funnel, right? Our recruiting funnel, 150,000, uh, you know, 1,500 to 60 or 70. Of that 150,000, if you ran the demographics of those 150,000, it's just not even close to what, you know, it doesn't reflect like American society. It just doesn't. It's the, the ratios are just off. And it's so it's, it's, it's something that we're working, uh, we're working on and we're trying to get better, but we're definitely struggling there. And so what would your, what's your male-female ratio, do you reckon? We have right now 20% of our company is female. Okay. Which actually I'm kind of proud of in our, in our field. But if you looked at our engineers, it's probably like 95% male, you know? which, you know, it sucks. It's unfortunate. We want to fix that. And we're trying to do that, right? We're sponsoring different, like, you know, women in tech initiatives. We go and send some of our top female people and they go and they speak on these panels. We're recruiting, we're trying, but we're not the only companies vying for that, like small, uh, small population. And so it's, it's tough to, to um, land recruits there. Okay. You talked about uh, the three people, one, one to three ratio, which I like, the uh, culture drivers, I think that's uh, that's fab. And as you got bigger, what um, when you got through a hundred, what were the roadblocks you saw at a hundred, which is often the next sort of scale point? Yeah, so we we had to. So our, our leadership team, we have five executives, 
And then we have seven other people in the leadership team. So it's about 12, 12 people, 12 person leadership team. But in the early days, probably pre pre 80 people, 90 people, it was just the five of us, the five executives running everything, every single HR person, every raise, every review. I mean, we were just getting overwhelmed in it. And we were starting to not do a great job. Um, and, and some things were getting away from us. So we made a very conscious effort and we were very intentional about scaling out that leadership team. Kind of that next seven, they were already doing a lot of this stuff anyway. So we formalized it. We did a big executive offsite retreat and we kind of just, you know, maybe like officially anointed people and, and encouraged them to kind of take that lead. And we've really spread out the leadership across this 12 person team. And actually, we have another probably four, five, six people outside of that team that that really are have, have probably qualified to be a part of that as well. And so we really we really went horizontal with our leadership team. And I'm just so proud of the way we've overcome that. I, I kind of want to say we've like we've solved that, like we've checked that box for this size. But as you know, Dominic, if you're continuing to grow, that problem's just going to keep popping up in different different ways. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're 150. You've got it. You've got a little bit of way to go. But I, you end up transitioning at about 250 towards 300 and every single process and system in the organization needs to be replaced. Yeah. So Dominic, what would be your advice to someone like me? Say, as we get to, you know, 200, 210, we're getting there and we're starting to feel this. What do we do? Do we get a coach? Do we do a program? Do we, you know, talk to me? Well, I would, uh, I would definitely advise you to get a coach, obviously. Yeah. 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 (laughs) It's that sort of hundred to 300, you know, you've gone, you've gone past the sort of 30 people, to 100 people and you're there, that, that 100, exactly as you said, you had to put in a leadership team because the executive team was, was too stretched. See that all the time. And then you push on to 300, which is probably the next big chunk. And then it's then every process and probably every process and every piece of software in the organization needs an overhaul. And that's where I, I think the thing is, if you know that, as you start to feel some pressure, you can go, okay, let's, we're going to have to change these out. We don't want to change them all at once. The other thing which we were talking about before we were recording at about 100 is the CEO's job is to be 100% the CEO and do only things the CEO. And I asked you what you gave up and you said you'd stop running projects. And so quite often the CEOs are hanging on to a functional responsibility for too long. I think the other thing is that you've got that five-person executive team, which you've had for a while. And so that's where are we in the beer leagues or are we in the Premier League? You know, and, and it's, has everyone's trajectory followed the company's trajectory? And so sometimes there's some difficult decisions around, you know, somebody now in a different role, more focused role, because the job's got bigger. And then maybe there's some things that you didn't have before that you need. You know, the CFO can become more of a strategic force in the organization. Do you have a chief people officer at the moment? Yeah. So we have, yes, we have a director of HR who's an absolute rock star. And then we have another individual, um, this girl, Jessie Zweigenthal, who's an absolute rock star. She's our director of employee engagement. Her whole job is connecting with people and ensuring that they're having a great experience, right? So it, it kind of dovetails nicely into the HR uh, the HR world as well. Yeah. And so, and so that whole sort of HR thing, you know, there's, there's a compliance piece. And often HR professionals come from that compliance background but that's different to recruitment which is different to learning and development sure and you know often what happens is i remember we were doing some work with a client where 
They were forecasting their business three years out and it meant they were going to be hiring 700 more people over the next three years, right? And a bit like you, you know, maybe one in 10 are managers and say, okay, 70 managers in three years and how many of them will be internally? And they said, well, we'd like to promote internally wherever we can. Okay, brilliant. So in the next three years, you're going to promote 70 people who today are not managing anybody. Yes. Okay. Who runs the university? And they're like, what do you mean? I said, well, you don't just go from being a sole contributor to being a manager. So what program would you want to run for them over the next three years? And when does it start? Oh, it probably should have started last year already. And so, so there are things like that where there's just... You know, you start thinking three years, three years out, what does that look like? Where, where would the end game be? And then what's going to, what would need to be true? And so there's a whole load of stuff that is just, that you might not even have that, you know, there's a challenge that's going to come up, particularly around that people development piece. It gets incrementally or exponentially more difficult, right? So if today you, everyone's an A player, you know, you go to 300 A players, like double the number of A players, like it's harder it's just harder. Regression to the mean means it's most companies, as they scale, you know, they start to regress to the mean. Their teams become more average. They start putting in bureaucracy and process. And I think if today you're running on a continuum and at one end you've got innovation and the other end you've got efficiency, companies start to try and move towards the efficiency end. And so what happens is there's a great, uh, you've seen the uh, Netflix, there's a great slide deck, which I'm sure you've seen, and then no rules, rules. You know, they talk about talent density and keeping talent density because, so that becomes the, those challenges are around no bureaucracy, talent density, training and development for managers become the challenges that, you know, are around the corner for you. Yeah, sure, sure. That's that's great, uh, great feedback. Definitely something to think about. I love what you said about, you know, that training should have started uh, a year ago, right? And that's uh, that's where you get caught with your pants down, right? And you're like, oh man, we actually we're at a critical point. And then maybe in that case, right, you do have to start bringing managers in from the outside because you didn't have time to you know train your people, and now you've got people that are disgruntled, and it could lead to some problems. And what happens is that manager comes in and they, and then uh, because recruitment is always hard, they bring five people with them. And so they've come in from somewhere else with five other people. And now you've got this, the, the, the culture can be really assaulted by, by that, you know, particularly if your culture is unique, scaling that as fast and as hard going to be interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. What one or two or three other things do you do differently? quite often work with clients we work out what we think their differentiators are and often people say people and so I say what is unique in your organization around your people and you've talked about some of them that are unique in your business but sometimes they sit there and they just go nothing right so then <laughs> then people can't be a differentiator if there's nothing unique about your people and your sure. people processes but sure. may, I'm, I'm sure there's a couple there's you know maybe two or three other things that you do differently that people should know about yeah, absolutely. So, you know, recognizing and celebrating people, right? A lot of companies go, oh, I love to recognize and celebrate. We go way over the top with that, way over the top. Everything we do at Chanel Group is like, you know, on, on 12 on a scale of one to 10, right? And so we'll, 
we have a Hall of Fame. We 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 spend like a thousand dollars on this bronze plaque of our Hall of Fame members. It's got their face in there. In America, there's this the Baseball Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Cooperstown, New York, right? And so we 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 modeled those plaques. I mean, literally, it's unbelievable. Well, and we surprise the person, and all their family and friends are there, and it's just it's unbelievable, right? We'll have a, a lot of events involve the family, the friends, right? A special team is like a magnet. And so it, it draws, uh, you know, people in. People just want to be around it, right? And so as an adult, you don't get a lot of times. You don't get a standing ovation. You don't get times for like to be truly honored and recognized. Not like, oh, they sent an email out that said I did good, right? Creating win opportunities, right? I, you know, I talk about the $10,000 beer pong tournament. You know, we just had a guy hit hit. Uh, he hit one beer pong shot for twenty five hundred dollars in front of about fifty people. Right? As an adult, when you don't get opportunities like that, maybe <laughs> like sports as a kid, you get those chances. Right? Um, here's a really cool one that we do, Dominic. We we give amazing, thoughtful gifts. Right? And and to to our people to show them how much we care about them. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. Okay? We're again, everything's trying to be over the top. We had this guy, his name's Jethro Brewer. We call him Jet. Jet's from South Africa. Jet, and he's a guitar player, and he had this amazing guitar, a Fender Stratocaster. And then Jet fell in love with a girl from America, and so he needed to raise money to get over to, uh, to America to buy his plane ticket and have enough money to live while he finds a job, right? So he sells his beloved Fender Stratocaster, okay? I don't know if you're a musician. Yeah, or not. I'm, not, I'm not, but I can imagine how painful that was. And he had, he had played this on four different continents, right? He had traveled the world playing this guitar. Anyway, he sells the guitar, comes over. He ends up working for us. He marries the girl and, you know, he's living in America. And he, we find out about this guitar and we're like, yo, we, we got to find that guitar and buy it for him, right? And so uh, we track it down in South Africa. We, we tracked down the guy through hundreds of emails and calls, and we finally find the dude. He didn't want to sell it. We just keep beating him over the head, right? I'll wear you down, Dominic. If, if I'm, I'm going to get my way eventually. Let's go, you know? And so, uh, so we wear this guy down. We finally buy it for an absurd price. We have a, a friend fly it over from South Africa, literally on the plane for like 14 hours. She kept it on her lap. And uh, we get the guitar. And so now we got to set him up for the big reveal, right? And so um, we, we set him up to talk to the team about sometimes in life you have to sacrifice something you love in order to get what you want. And so he's speaking. We were about 30, 40 people at the time, right? So we get all the young folks in the room and he's in there doing the speech. And he's like, and I wanted to come to America, but I didn't have any money. So I had to sacrifice. I had to sell my beloved guitar in order to raise the money. And as he says, sell my beloved guitar, my brother, the war machine, kicks down the door, Dominic. He brings the guitar and he's like, you mean this guitar? He's like, what? He walks over, he grabs the guitar, Dominic, right? He turns it around and see on the back of the guitar, there was a scratch that like only he would have known was there. He goes like this with his finger. He finds the scratch. His jaw drops. His eyes fill up with tears. He goes, you found her. You found her. You found her. You found the damn guitar, right? The crowd goes crazy. We're all, people are like going nuts. People are misty eyed. It was one of the greatest moments ever, right? And so this is the type of thing. I could, whatever we spent on that guitar, we could have just gave it to him in a bonus. Right. To say thank you. We could have just uh, sent an email out. We could have. Well, there's a million things we could have done. But we went over the top with that. Right. And that's just one example. I have literally a hundred of these stories. And so that's a moment he's never going to forget. That's a moment that every single person in that room's never going to forget. They're telling that shit at Christmas with their family 
oh, you should see what happened at work the other day, blah, blah, blah. And they tell the whole story. People are like, what is going on over there, right? And so as a leader, you've got an opportunity to create these, these moments. If you don't create them, what I would say, this is going to be tough. You're just lazy. You don't give a shit enough. You don't care enough. You don't care enough about your team. You know what I'm saying? So create, look to create these moments. If you, if somebody's still listening to the podcast by this point, right, they made it this far. This is their gem. This is their takeaway. Go find the best person on your team. Find the best person, the one who, if they leave, you're like, shit, I'm in trouble, right? Find out what they want and give them the most creative, the most thoughtful, the coolest gift. It doesn't have to cost a ton of money. It could just be thoughtful and show them how much you care about them. Show show them how much you love them. And I bet you it'll be a transformative moment in your relationship and in the way you lead your team. So that's that's kind of a big nugget I wanted to leave. Does that make sense, Dominic? It does. Look, I've got a quick story to share back with you. We used to take part in similar third party surveys. And uh, we got we got placed in the top 100 places to work in Europe. And two people got to go to Copenhagen for an event. So we said, please nominate the two people in the team that you think have had the biggest impact on making this a great place to work in the last 12 is, months. Is this, back, is this back in your Rackspace days? This is back in Rackspace, yeah. And so two people, Annalise and Sam, went off to Copenhagen and they came back and they said, right, we've been sitting on this table with another company and we've got a thing that we're stealing from them and it's called the Fluff Fairies. And I said, okay, how does this work? And they said, well, it's a secret that only the three of us know about. And so what we'll do is we'll find somebody in the organization that will find something which is really depressing somebody or making somebody sad. And we'll come to you for some money and we'll fix it. And then we'll sprinkle, we'll put it in an envelope under their keyboard and we'll sprinkle fairy dust all over the computer. And we won't tell anybody and we won't take, we won't take the credit. Right. And so the first time that happened is uh, one of the ladies in finance, I think her mother was really ill and she couldn't, it was Christmas time. And so the flights were really expensive and she couldn't get back to her mother. So they came and said, look, we're going to buy some airline tickets because you can't afford to go. And so they did that. And again, it, it just the, 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 the whole organization's like, did you hear what happened? Did you hear what happened? Did you hear? So it just, it's just brilliant. And then, and then I just get to say, I've no idea what you're talking about. Nothing to do with me must be the fluff fairies and it's so it's just uh and so it's just fab and it's still so think about the cost of that plane ticket right you know you could have given her that money in cash but you're helping her get home to her sick mother i mean this is the type of stuff i'm talking about i love that story and i love that you're doing it on the sly right i'm out here bragging about it anybody will listen (laughs) i love that stuff man let's go so that was great because again it's like all i all all i have to do is come up with the money it's like when you say the culture starts taking care of itself it's like if you've got people who really care it starts taking care of itself Here's the thing that I say all the time when people are saying, oh, my, st- my team won't come back to the office. The commute is the tax that your culture has to pay, right? And so if people are doing a job and they've the, been doing a job at home for two years and it's just not very interesting and the company's not very interesting, well, you know what? They're probably not going to want to come in. Or as you said, you know, you know, if you come in, there's too many arseholes. Uh, you know, I may as well stay at home. Yeah, amen. Darren, what is it you know now you wish you'd known earlier? <laughs> uh, um, that uh, I should have bought Bitcoin when it came out. <laughs> uh, no, um, I still believe in Bitcoin, even though it's getting hit right now. But uh, w- one thing that I wish I knew in the early days, so my, my brother and I, we started our career on Wall Street as software engineers in the late 90s, did that for about a decade, then had about 
eight, nine years of failed entrepreneurial activity, a bunch of product startups. And this business that I'm running now, that we're running now that started in about 2012, it was always here for us. I just looked at services as like not sexy enough, right? I want to make the product that's going to be a $10 billion company. I should have known, or I wish what I wish I could go back and tell myself, dude, just start the service-based company. You guys are great at service. You're great at building special teams. Just do that. That's the key. That's the ticket. And I've never been happier, right? And I I spent a decade chasing this thing that um, you know maybe all the movies and the magazine covers and stuff kind of you know they they lured me to to chase that. And so I know if I went back in time and told my younger self, my younger self would be like, oh, you must have gotten soft later in years. I'm still chasing this. I wouldn't have listened <laughs> anyway, but I wish I knew that when I was younger. <laughs> Very good. And uh, what books have inspired you to build this great culture that you've got? Yeah, first and foremost, uh, Traction. So if, if people don't know about the book Traction, that's EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System. So we are an EOS company. We run our company on the Entrepreneurial Operating System. That's been a transformative uh, thing for us in our organization. I'm a big fan of that. If you're struggling with, uh, you know, scaling or core values, or uh, there's a million issues that it kind of addresses. I think that's good. I know you're a big scaling up guy. I think that's a very effective program oh, as well. Yeah. Right? We, call, we call EOS Scaling Up for Dummies. <laughs> That's great. Well, a lot of times people do no, kind of graduate from EOS to scaling up, right? They, they they do. We've had a couple of clients graduate. Yeah, yeah. It. I That's, look. I think if you've got no no platform, you should have a platform. You should have yeah. you should have something to run your business. Yeah. Amen. So so traction has been absolutely transformative for us. Another book that had a huge impact on me was uh, was Rich Dad Poor Dad. I'm sure a ton of people have read that one. When I read that back in 2005. I quit my job, my full-time job, my corporate job. I quit it five days later, right? The quote quote that got me in there, Dominic, was, why work so hard to climb the ladder when you can build your own ladder? And I was like, oh, wow, why why am I climbing this ladder? I'll just start my own ladder, (laughs) right? And that just, boy, that hit hard. And then I I, I quit five days later. And then I almost went bankrupt, but... (laughs) That's a different story. And then I, I was able to dig myself out. Um, last book, maybe E-Myth. E- the E-Myth visited. I love that one. All about systems, processes, and uh, uh, that's that's another solid one. Yeah, fab. And is, is systems and process your Achilles heel? Is it your kryptonite? So me personally, yeah. So as we were scaling. and you're the, you're, Are you the visionary? Yeah, no question about it. <laughs> my, my sales pitches, my, my team, you know, I think I'm pretty good at sales, but I'm better when I have a process person with me. Because when it's my turn to talk, I just go, yeah, you know, we'll just get in there, man. And we're, you know, we got smart people and oh, we'll just come and kick ass, right? Uh, slightly more <laughs> professional, I sound. Uh, but then, our, you know, I, ha- I have the people on our leadership team that have implemented those processes. And boy, we've got structured stuff. It's really cool. I can't even speak to it. Like they're so good at speaking to it. I'm like, wow, you guys have done such a good job on that. And I think a lot of the, you know, the engineering mindset, they like that, right? They like it very structured as, as opposed to me in the early days of like, yeah, we'll just work 80 hour weeks, man. This should be no problem, right? <laughs> like, what? What are you signing me up for? You know? Oh, uh, very good. That doesn't scale. Indeed. No. <laughs> um, Darren, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. You are a force of nature, definitely. 
Amen. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. You know, I, I've been listening to the podcast for a bit. You run a really great organization here. And, uh, I, you know, I am going to make a trip over to the UK in the coming year. I was supposed to go for my anniversary, got canceled with COVID. If I do, I'd love to, to look you up. Come down to the farm. We'd love to host you. That'd be awesome, man. Thank you so much, Dominic. All right. Brilliant. Speak to you soon. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you'd be kind enough to leave a review, it will really help other like-minded entrepreneurs find this podcast and grow our community. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find some cracking show notes, additional reading and links relating to our guest. There you can also find my blog and past episodes of my subjectively not crap newsletter, where I'll update you on the best articles I read that week, some recommended books and other podcasts. Thanks, and I will see you next week.